This is the 206.com podcast. My name is Mark Morin, and I am speaking with Jenny Shi, the director of a documentary called Finding Yingying, which I watched during the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Mark. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Now, Finding Yingying is a documentary about a Chinese student here in America. Tell me about the movie and then how you became involved with the project. So uh, the movie is actually about a Chinese international student who went missing um, three years ago from the campus of University of Illinois uh, at Urbana-Champaign. But the story is not about the investigation. It is more about who Yingying was. Yingying uh, Zhang is the person who went missing. Who Yingying was and how much her life has touched others. So when I first heard about her disappearance, that was in the summer of 2017, I think maybe like two or three days right after you know, she went missing. I was an international student at Northwestern University in Chicago at that time. And I learned about her disappearance through a WeChat from a college alumni group chat, where I later found out that we actually went to the same university in China. We didn't know each other before, but I was able to, you know, just, I happened to find out that we went to the same university in China. Mm -hmm. So at first I was basically, you know, doing things like other Chinese students. We were spreading words, uh, posting her information on our social media and just try to find her. Mm. Um, and I think a week after her disappearance, her parents actually flew from China to the U.S. Basically, they wanted to search by themselves and to, to make sure that they were informed by you know, all the updates. And there were a lot of people helping them. And I also went down to Urbana-Champaign to see what I could do. At first, I didn't approach them as a filmmaker. You know, I didn't really say I'm going to make a feature-length film, things like that. I was really being introduced to them as a volunteer. And I also helped them sometimes like translation and sometimes just spending time with them because they needed people to spend time with them in this foreign country. They didn't know anything about America and they don't speak English at all. But, you know, at that time, I was also thinking, you know, what else I could do. I learned, you know, documentary storytelling at school and I know how to use camera. So that's how I started, you know, the idea of maybe I just started documenting, you know, what's going on mm. right now. At that time, there were a lot of like reporters, you know, basically covering the public events like press conference, like the walk and the concert for Yingying, things like that. Mm. I was also among them, you know, documenting things. And I also uh, later talked to the family and I pitched the idea of maybe I started to document the places Ying used to study, used to work. Mm -hmm. And that could be something they can bring back to China and to share it with other family members who right. didn't have a chance to learn like what Ying was doing in the U.S. So that's how gradually, you know, I started to documenting Ying stuff and also like the family. I think I would say like the process was also a process of building the trust. So it really took me like several months to really make them comfortable to be on camera. But I sometimes I would like film like just a little bit and then just stop filming. So mm. it was really a process of, you know, navigating what is the best boundary between, you know, it's okay or the family feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's one thing I really noticed is they seemed really open to just existing and communicating like they normally would, even with you, you know, documenting it. I guess maybe expand on that more of your interactions with the family and how your interactions with them evolved over the course of the entire documentary. I think at first I was very careful about what I'm, what I said mm -hmm. and what I did in front of them. 
because they were in basically in deep grief and they were like was really you know anxious and really wanted to find me so i just didn't want to put extra pressure on them just because of you know because making this documentary at first the family they spent five months in the u.s in 2017 before they ran out of money and went back to china so i visited them like once a week uh, most of the time without camera but you know whenever they went out to search i would also like i have a friend who was a volunteer at u of i his name is shiling sun and he later became also like a cinematographer and a co-producer of the film. So basically we follow the family together. When they went out to search, we would document their search. And sometimes, you know, they were staying like in the apartment. We would ask them, you know, maybe we wanted to film some quiet moment, like just for five minutes. And we just mm -hmm. did that. So at first, every step was very careful. And also in a film, you would see a lot of emotional moments that the mom just broke down and uh, couldn't really, you know, compose things like that. We, I mean, I myself, I struggled a lot about, you know, whether I should film them when they were like just crying, whether it was ethical. So I had a lot of questions about that. And I also had a lot of discussion with some experienced documentary filmmakers who had the experience cover, you know, tragedy and uh, cover very intimate topics and moments. I think the good thing is that we did talk to the family a lot and basically to communicate with them and to make sure, you know, what was the things that they were okay with and at what kind of moments they were not okay with that. You know, sometimes we still kind of like made mistakes because we can't really, we wasn't able to make the best assessment at that specific moment. But later we would still talk to the family and uh, if they say that, if they said like, we don't feel, we didn't feel comfortable actually at that moment. Next time we want to make sure that we avoid the same like uh, problem i mean mm. the mistake we made uh, but again it was very difficult because you know sometimes i feel like uh, the relationship is was re was really stable but mm. it was actually not and uh, they would change their mind and uh, it also depends on how much information they learned about investigation that would really change their attitudes towards media and in 2018 you know when the family were in china the situation was quite different because they were at home they were much more relaxed even though it was still a heavy burden in their mind that their daughter was still missing, but they at least they were at home. In the US, sometimes they just, you know, I think they were just so nice and they didn't want to upset other people. And sometimes they were just afraid of, because they didn't know the language and the culture, they might upset someone. But at home, that was different. So I think the whole atmosphere was, wasn't that heavy. And they really treated me like their own child. The mom would ask me, you know, uh, whether you wanted to like, bubble tea and do you need like bread and she would actually you know took me to go on the street and like went shopping she wanted to really treat me and we got along with each other very very well mm -hmm. so that's why you could see a lot of intimate moments in the part i shot in china they were basically very honest to me and they didn't really you know try to hide anything in china mm -hmm. so i was able to capture a lot of you know the true moments in their life and to really see how the loss of Ying Ying had really affected the family, the family relationship, and the future of the family. And also, that was during that time, I got access to Ying's diaries mm. and also her home videos and the childhood photos. And that was a great chance for me to learn more about Ying Ying. 
And the relationship with the family like also changed in 2019 when it came to the trial because you know like trial there were something you know really confidential you can't really reveal it to you know someone else and they also have like agreement with the lawyer. So we try to navigate our relationship with the family as well as how we are going to basically film the trial when you knew that cameras were not allowed in the trial. So we basically, Shalene um, and I, we tried our best to document everything happened outside the courthouse. You know, basically capturing the family, walking to the courthouse, and uh, you know, after they just left the courthouse, we tried to capture those moments. And we actually didn't have access to the family for the entire guilt phase because mm. their lawyers suggested them not talking to anyone else. Even though like we thought like we had a long relationship with the family already, but because of the suggestion from the lawyer, the family made a, for them, they made a safe decision. That's a safe step for them, just not talking to us. I knew at that time there was another documentary crew that's from a big news media. They were making a documentary as well. So I just feel like Maybe from the family's perspective, it's better to, you know, just to say no to both crew, uh, to be right. fair. Otherwise, you know, you might upset, you know, either of them if you <laughs> grant it, you know, access or things like that. And that would be complicated. And uh, right. again, I would say like the family, they were very vulnerable in the U.S. It's about like emotion-wise and culture-wise. And uh, we just wanted to protect them. So even though we lost access to the family in terms of filming, we were still like having lunch and dinner with them. And uh, sometimes, uh, because the trial happened in Peoria, not in Urbana-Champaign, oh, yeah. so there wasn't a large Chinese group um, helping the family in Peoria. So it was actually Shiling and I, we like drove the family around in Peoria whenever they wanted to get groceries. And sometimes they wanted to, I mean, they, they needed to record like testimony beforehand. We would drive them to the courthouse. So basically just doing like volunteer work. And, uh, you know, after the trial, we, you know, continue to film their reflections, you know, and also capture the aftermath. So basically that's how the relationship between the family, I would say like, it's like fluent, you know, you, you can't right. really say 100%, but we just try to navigate relatively, you know, comfortable relationship and uh, a safe distance with the family. And you had mentioned Yingying's diary. To me, that became a really important part of how you told the story. And it creates a lot of emotional connection to who she was during her time in America. How did that evolve as part of the storytelling process? I think when I first started the film, basically, I didn't know what's going to happen next. So like we thought we would find Yingying like very soon. Maybe she would come back safely and that's it. And maybe like my footage is just footage, you know, documents their mm -hmm experience a short experience in the u.s and that's it but right. when we learned that like three weeks after her disappearance the fbi arrested suspect and they didn't believe he was still alive we knew that the story was going to a different di direction that no one really you know expected and i started continue following her and uh, i also realized that you know there were a lot of news coverage on the crime, on the investigation, on the perpetrator, but not really about Dingying and her family. And even for those, you know, coverage about Dingying and her family, they were really, you know, stereotype or victim. You know, it was either like mom, like breaking down and crying. And uh, sometimes they won't even subtitle her words. It's just like really crazy yelling, things like that. And right. that wasn't something we wanted to show in the film. And I was thinking, maybe we can make a film about Dingying. But at that time, I wasn't really sure because I didn't know how much material we can get, you know, to tell 
a story of Yingying. But luckily, we learned that Yingying kept the diary. We actually, in post-production, we had different versions of the film. In the first rough cut, we had a lot of crime in the film, actually. And、uh, we, at first, we thought maybe people, you know, would like the crime part because, like, true crime is so popular. <laughs> But meanwhile, you know, we wanted to tell a story of Yingying and her family. So,、mm-hmm. how how could we really balance, you know, these two parts? And、uh, it was after several working progress screenings, we realized that since you know our goal, ultimate goal, is to celebrate her life, we might not need you know too much crime in the film, and also we needed really needed to figure out how we can keep being alive throughout the film. So we got her diary she kept in the U.S. before she disappeared, and we also got access to her diary she kept. In China, describing her relationship with the family, describing、mm. her dream, why she decided to come to the U.S., and all her concerns. That's how we can learn. You know, basically try to get a full picture of who Yingying was. And I think that's the strongest materials. You know, other than different people talking about her, it was always、mm. her own words, own handwriting, and you see it on the screen. And really, to feel her personality through her writings, I think that was. I, that's the most powerful piece. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, that was really where I connected emotionally. It was when sentences or paragraphs from her diary were read, and you really got a sense of just how inspirational of a person she really was. And you know, it turns out what a tragic loss that was. I think that was a really good move to go that direction. It became an inspirational story. You know, not just you know your typical like you mentioned all of the popularity of true crime and everything that's out there. This is it was a lot more and a lot deeper than that. So I'm glad you were able to find that and take that direction. Now. Documentary has won several awards already at various film festivals, which to me shows how much people are connecting to this story. What has the response been like for you as it's played through festivals to this point? Yeah, I think、uh, we had like different response, and you know, I I was actually hoping if there would be like physical festivals, but now I、yeah. can only get response, you know, during like live Q and A, or sometimes people would like tweet about the film. It, it's a difficult film for a lot of people to watch. It's heartbreaking, you know. Sometimes people just feel like there's no really like real resolution for all these questions and what the family gonna do next. But there are also a lot of comments saying that it was so great that we focus on Yingying, and we are so glad that that was the audience takeaway because we really want them to walk away with an image of a young talented woman and、uh, you know how the loss of her life has impacted.、Uh, Everyone around her, and also maybe you know some people would really think about the popular like true crime documentary that's going on right now, and really think about you know what's wrong with the narrative, or is there any like any other like alternative you know of like the true crime narrative? So maybe this film could be a good example for that. I'm still looking forward to you know the film playing in different. Festivals and、uh, mm. the film was picked up by MTV. So、yep. we're also hoping more audience would、uh, see this film, learn about Ying's story and her family story through MTV. Excellent. Yeah, I saw that in the news just recently. So congratulations on that. Now, you yourself, as a filmmaker and as a director, you've also won awards and received recognition through pretty much every step of your career so far. I've looked at a couple different things and found you're a graduate of Cardam Quinn's Diverse Voices and Docs program. You're a fellow of the inaugural Women at Sundance Adobe Fellowship. You were named to Doc NYC's third annual 40 Under 40 list. And you receive special jury recognition for breakthrough voice at this year's 2020 South by Southwest Festival. 
Looking at yourself as a filmmaker, what is one quality you can identify that has led you to having this type of recognition and success? To be honest, I feel like I'm really lucky because I think at the different stages of my career, I was just so lucky to get so much support from the community. And the, we, you know, right now, I think we have, like, I mean, like a discussion about diverse voices in the industry and also like right. female filmmakers, especially emerging female filmmakers. And I think I really appreciate it that, you know, people really recognize the importance of these voices, of our voices. And for me, for example, like Fanny Ying, this is just a story I really wanted to tell. It's a story of my own community. And I have so much to, not to educate, but just to show people who had stereotype on us. And that's actually my like driving force to continue, keep you know pushing the story, keep pushing the project forward. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, I really want to break the stereotype. And that's one of the reasons why I started to do documentary filmmaking. So for me, that's important. And I'm actually really, excited you know about the continuous support because you know these programs or recognitions is not only are not only like supporting me they're also supporting other young talented filmmakers of color and uh, mm. i think that's a very very great move for the whole industry as you know there are a lot of stories about people of color are told by white filmmakers i think right. that's something you know we need to change gradually and for me, like, I'm not saying that I can only tell story about Chinese. I'm also looking for, you know, looking forward to telling stories about the black community, like Latino community, also white people, but it's more about like collaboration. So we are not stuck in a box, but actually different filmmakers with different backgrounds can actually work together and tell story together. I think that's the ultimate goal. I really feel like the industry as a whole is just starting to move in that direction. So I'm really glad that that's something you're aware of and really looking to achieve. Over the course of your schooling for films and then the experience you've gained, who would you look at as a person who's really influenced you over the last couple of years? I think there are a lot of people I just just feel like so grateful because they are always like by my side. But I would definitely say the two producers, Fanny Ying, Brent Huffman and Diane Kwan, because first like Brent, he was my professor at Northwestern University where I first wow. started Fanny Ying Ying. So if it wasn't him really encouraging me to move forward and to encourage me to overcome you know those difficulties and give me guidance at the first place i wasn't able to even develop this simple idea into a feature-length film he was really encouraging me you know along the way and uh, in 2018 when i was at the when i was in the diverse voices of documentary program at Cartoon Films. That's where I met Diane Kwan. She is also Chinese. The difference is she's an American-born Chinese. So oh, wow. um, okay. yeah, but we have like, you know, I'm also Chinese. So I just feel like we have like special connection between each other. I really see her like as a mom who adopted me in a documentary, you know, world and the whole career. Yeah. And she was really, because funny Ying, it was a difficult story to tell. Like Shilin and I, when we were filming, we had so much like emotion difficulties and like burdens just being there like experiencing like the the set atmosphere and right. Brent and Diane they were like just had conversation and text us just want to make sure that emotional wise like we are doing okay I think you know being a team not it's not just about you know work together get the work done but also taking care of each other and really 
you know, I think a, a good team is really like like a family, and that's how I feel. Sometimes I just feel like I'm, I was like well protected, just mm. in the past three years. Of <laughs> whenever I have question, I would go to Brent and Diane, and they would just you know answer my question right away. And yeah, I'm just. I just feel so lucky, and、uh, I'm so grateful to like everyone. And we also have great donors and、uh, investors, EPs, and、uh, the whole Cartoonquin team. So, yeah. So it's like it's not one woman's, you know, work. Funny,、right. it's more about a、uh, collaborative efforts, and everyone is working on that. Who would you say is somebody that inspires you that's not a filmmaker? Oh, I think that's a good question. I never thought about that. <laughs> I think maybe my parents, because I don't know. I feel like documentary filmmaking is something like really difficult, and、uh, you need to be very. Sometimes you re- you need to be very tough, you know,、mm-hmm. at everything, and you also need to be tough <laughs> on yourself. Sometimes I just feel like when because it's just so difficult, especially being an in- independent filmmaker. It was very difficult to like raise. Funds and sometimes get access. It's also difficult. But my parents, again, like they were just really supportive. Whatever like decision I made in terms of my life, my career. I know like a lot of parents they wanted their children to be like a lawyer or like a, <laughs> a doctor or whatever. Right, you know,、right. it's same in China actually to find a stable job. But my parents they would just you know ask me just to like make sure like you are you are okay, you are safe, you are healthy. And you can just do whatever you wanted to do as long as you feel like you know, that's a good choice for you. And also, I think my parents—they are really hardworking and、uh, caring, and、uh, really understand you, understand me. So that's good. Like in the past three years, because I was mostly I was just working on funnying. They would ask me like, "How's my how's my documentary?" And I told them that I'm still working on that. And they just they would have questions. <laughs> Like, you haven't finished it, right? Why it's so long? I I told them that it's just it's just that long making a documentary, <laughs> and they and they won't say they wouldn't say like anything other than that. They just you、right. know checking, yeah. So they were really supportive all the way around. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. You had mentioned a few minutes ago about MTV documentary films picked up Finding Yingying. Now, from what I understand and what I read, is they're planning a full award season campaign for the movie. What does that mean to you, knowing that that's going to be your world over the next few months? And what does it mean for the documentary as well? Like, what are the next steps that take place? We are just so glad that MTV came on board and they committed to run a full award. Campaign, which means they would submit a film to different awards and also to qualify the film for Academy Award.、Yeah. So right now,、uh, we are just trying to figure out a way, you know, to qualify it. For me, that you know, it's my first film and、uh, it's like a huge bonus. You know,、mm-hmm. I, I I never experienced like award season before. So no matter what, you know, what happened,、um, I'm just so happy to be part of this whole campaign and really to. Get to know a lot of other like amazing filmmakers、um, mm. in the process, so I'm really looking forward to that. And in terms of the film itself, because I'm sure they would, you know, put a lot of efforts in publicity. And I think it's actually, you know, basically it aligns with the goal of the film because we want more people to know Ying's story. I'm just very happy that you know maybe like this film can travels to more can travel to more places. 
and bringing story and her family story, you know, across the world. And the family, that's actually also the family's hope because they were always very afraid that, you know, as things back to normal, everyone's life, you know, goes on, the public attention and the media attention would eventually fade away. And right. no one would really remember, you know, there was just an excellent young woman just went missing and disappeared forever in this foreign land. They, they were really hoping, you know, there was some sort of like format or whatever, you know, a way to memorizing me. Yeah, so and this is, you know, about like US MTV and we are also looking forward to distribute the film in China. When people watch the movie, what is the one thing you want people to get out of watching it and what do you want them to feel? Yeah, I mentioned a lot, you know, this is a film and this is a story about a young, talented woman and how much her life has touched others. As long as the audience um, get that, I think we just, you know, it, this film works, right? So yeah. I'm just really happy. And also, somehow, I hope this film can change the narrative of traditional true crime stories. That's another hope, um, you know, of, of the film after people watch the movie. What's the, what's the other question, sorry? Oh, just what do you want people to feel? Like when the credits start rolling and everything is over, what are the emotions you want people to feel? I hope the people can really moved by the film uh, and inspired by Ying herself. Even though, you know, it's very likely that everyone will be very sad at the film, at the end of the film, because Ying was still missing, right? Mm. At the end of the story and uh, there seems like the family still wanted to search, but nothing really happened. But I just hope because, you know, the ending of the film, we spend a lot of time listening Ying's boyfriend talking about her and seeing right. her photos and uh, her handwriting. Life is too short to be ordinary. So yeah. that's how, that's where, what we really want the film land. Hopefully, you know, um, the audience can really move by Ying Ying herself. Absolutely. And, you know, as I mentioned before, that's really what I got out of the movie. It's a tragic story. It's a devastating story, but it's also so inspirational just the way you told her story. Before we wrap things up, do you have any last thoughts that you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I'm just very happy that, you know, people decided to play the film, you know, in mm. different festivals and get a chance to know more about who Yin was and get a chance to know Ying's family. And I hope, you know, if you watch the film and you like the film, please spread the word. And we have more film festivals coming up. Um, you could check out our website, which is www.findingying.com. And really, you know, more people see it. Like, I think that's just our ultimate goal. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the social media handle on our website as well. Jenny, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much. This is Mark Morin speaking with Jenny Shi on the 206.com podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>